Good evening, Sussex Squad, Sussex Squad Nation. Happy Mother's Day. Oh my God, what an incredible day. Beautiful day. Uh, may God bless you, all of you mothers. Um, yeah, happy Mother's Day, guys. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. How are you, Charles and George? Not doing pretty well. Uh, you know, as we say, like, it seems like every week, but just uh, fiendishly busy. But getting things, uh, trying to get things done. I uh, got a couple nice big things kind of checked off the list, so doing pretty well. Yeah. Wonderful. What about you? And just you? really, really enjoying the warm weather, the sunshine, already working on my farmer's tan. So everything is good. Everything's great. Lovely. Good to hear. Yeah. So what's going on with you? I know you had kind of a rough week. Yeah. It is being um, a very tough and difficult one. Um, I should have been with my mother today mother's day um and her birthday was just a few days ago and i wanted to travel and be with her and so i would have been able to be there for her birthday and as well as um, mother's day but unfortunately i couldn't i had to make a very tough decision as many of you now by now sussex squad sussex squad nation may realize that, you know, um, all three of us here have, um, I think it's fair to say, we cover the globe in terms of families, members, and, and, and you know, we sort of a very international people, I guess that's the best way to describe it. Um, yes, yeah, so one of our extended family member from Italia, um, have passed away, have left us. And um, I wanted to visit him and see him knowing he, we knew that he was going to, you know, go and meet his maker. And so I wanted to see him a last time. And so it was very difficult and I got to see him and be with him and touch him and look at him. And so that was very difficult. And six hours later, he was gone. And so, um, yeah, so shout out to Napoli and to all our Italian listeners. Um, may God bless you all over there. And so the wake is tomorrow and then funeral, it's on Tuesday. So, yeah. I would just say um, to everyone listening that probably can't, can't hear it because Lady Sussex is doing a, an incredible job of uh, mental and emotional fortitude and, and being there. Uh, that we are, Charles and I, are both very proud of you for still doing this service and, and being there and continuing to give of yourself uh, for those around you because we know it's not, it's not easy. Um, and so, cheers to you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. But it's a necessary work. Um, I don't know how much I am contributing, if I am at all, but it just feel a necessity, um, you know, for us to be here. So what is, oh my God, by the way, I noticed Chechenelli was one of the first comments. First oh comments on the post, yeah. Oh, my girl, um, I hope you are well, you are doing okay, Chechenelli, and that you are Fully recovered, or at least on your way to fully recovered. It was so nice and so, I don't know what to say. I, refreshing. You know, refreshing to see 
her committed. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so, Charles, what do we have in Churchinelli news today? The Churchinelli report? Report, yeah. exactly. Oh. So for the Church and Ellie Report, we actually have an update on the Kaboom fundraiser. So we all know that's from the Sussex Squad. It's to celebrate the birthdays of Prince Harry, uh, Prince Harry, of Prince Archie, uh, <laughs> Princess Lilibet, uh, and supporting the needs of children and communities through play. So that's kind of the big kind of uh, idea behind it. And we continue to crush it. We're almost 400% above goal. So the goal was $20,000. We are currently sitting at $73,000 and some change. Incredible. So, yeah. So you guys are just completely uh, blowing it out of the water. So we have that. So congratulations to everyone there. Uh, And then also on Friday, ahead of Mother's Day weekend, actually, the next little bit of a news segment is uh, Meghan Markle's friend and colleague, Kelly McKee Zafin, posted a very nice photo and kind of a tribute uh, to Duchesses of Six and Mothers Everywhere um, because she's the co-founder of the Alliance for Moms. And what that is is basically it's an organization that works to support pregnant and parenting moms in the Los Angeles foster care system. It was so... It was a very sweet photo. That's a very sweet photo. I mean, side note, I looked at um, Megan, you know, in the picture. She looks like a teenager. (laughs) This woman just, you know, aging backwards. Um, So that is was a wonderful um, picture. Yeah, I think because she was just dressed together. so casually, which you was know, just really nice. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great thing that um, women are doing now. Just um, be there for each other. Hopefully one day I could be a part of that club. I can't wait. Hopefully. So um, so should we start with the show? I'm, I, 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 is there any more news? Uh, the only other thing uh, is that uh, Sophie uh, Wessex, the Duchess of Edinburgh, uh-huh. Um, so she unfortunately got into a bit of a fender bender. Well, actually, her security detail did. Um, and really, unfortunately, is that one of the motorcycle uh, police protecting her actually ran into an uh, an 80-year-old woman. So it was horrible. I don't know what is the story with the royals always hating people. Yeah, I don't you even know, understand. Like, how really, do you, I don't really how do, you get do it. that? Yeah, it's terrible. So it was actually really bad. The The lady's still in a coma. Wow. I was listening to my 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 yeah. brother uh, from another mother, Baron, this week. That helped me through somehow through the week. Just listening to him make me laugh and make me giggle, and so with all the sadness and everything that was going on around me. So it was good to hear him, and then he's doing a lot of shorts, and he just the man. He just funny he's so talented in everything that he does and one of the things that he was saying where was she going (laughs) who was looking for to see her i mean it was just funny so really where was she going what was what did she needed a police escort what did she try to (laughs) run away or something well yeah you have all that and then just like you know this guy is a professional like, you know, it wasn't like she was riding the motorcycle, like she was driving. It was like the security whose the sole security purpose details. was like, yeah, right. it was the whole, it's like to protect To make people. sure that she's safe and everyone else is. Yeah. Right? It's just like, give me a break. Amateur hour. Wow. Anyway. So, George, um, do we have any comments? Not only do we have comments, which we do have comments, but we also have our first week of officially thanking our first members. It is a huge moment. Yeah. yeah. It is a huge moment. Yeah. I'm very sort of 
conflicted about that because in one hand is incredible. It's 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 feel wonderful to know that you know what people want to support us and um help us do that work and God knows we have a lot, you know, in the bag to actually really accomplish if we're able to have that kind of support. We look forward to do many things for the squads on the squad name on the squad behalf, I suppose that's what I should say. And um and our princess and, and, and King Harry. So I hope we get a chance to actually do the things that I'm thinking about doing. Absolutely. And and with that, it is always, uh, as, you, as you say, it's not, there's the, maybe a feeling of conflicted, but there's also a feeling of, uh, is this even real? Kind of, <laughs> because it really wasn't that long ago we had maybe... 150 subscribers and and that was huge for we, us was, that was we got to massive a, yeah. and so now to even have members is just really it's it's unreal and it's something that we cannot say enough how uh, appreciative and grateful we are um, thank you so very much yes thank you thank, thank you. you thank you thank you and and a, and a special thank you to our first four members ever which are and the first one who who was right there right at the beginning and and made us feel so so much support was uh, Don Robinson Gales. Don. <laughs> uh, and then the second one who followed shortly right after was RR Carter. Mm-hmm. And then not too long after that was T Higgins and K Castillo. So thank you all. Thank uh, you so so much. so so much guys. Thank you it so much. It means a lot a lot to us. Even if you were just have the four, it would have been <laughs> fine. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, also thank you to everyone who has left such wonderful comments. Uh, especially all the, uh, it was great to see all the happy birthdays to to Archie over the last yeah, that was week a and great, two weeks. Great, great um, celebration for Archie that he knows that he's he's so loved. He's loved. He has such a community mm-hmm. supporting him. It was great to see that. Um, but for comments to call out this week, uh, just to start the the brains and to start this conversation of where we're going to go uh, in just a little bit, the first one first one is from Ruth R D. Uh, who wrote, um, the battle is raging on so many fronts and the squad must not be distracted. And I think that's actually that first line is uh, something to keep in mind as we get into uh, the service today. The squad must not be distracted. Megan has become the boogeyman to destroy while they, Camilla and her handlers, destroy much of the social gains made by blacks, other people of color, and poor whites. The word went out the other day that people suffering the most need uh, get used to a state of poverty. Megan, the Megan symbol, a black woman raised middle class, married into the very top tier of the British class system, respected and admired globally, is a perfect destructive target symbol. While the press and captains of industry go after unions and that sector of the workforce essential to a smooth functioning society. Camilla's battle for legitimacy comes true on Saturday, from town hall marriage to cathedral coronation. Camilla secures her position in the royalty and the media barons and captains of industry secures an ally with direct control over a king. Brexit did not turn out as the Tories expected, and they need a submissive populace to wield power of their strongman monies. Unification and hate against Meghan is a shield while the economic order is rearranged. And insults against Biden is not unexpected, as the American right, with autocratic leanings, partakes in the bashing of Harry and Meghan. The service is so jam-packed with a whole thesis can come from it. Lady Sussex, George, and Charles, keep up the good work. Do not become discouraged. Thank you so much. Uh, That woman, Camilla, may just be a pawn in the long game. Prince Harry sees the game and understands the plays, and they want him gone. Prayers for Harry and his family must be unceasing. Wonderful. What an incredible um, 
message. It is. It is. Thank you so much, Ruth. Um, and also a comment that I will uh, acknowledge to all of you listening that Lady Sussex perhaps didn't want me to read because she is going to be, um, uh, what's the word? Um, blushing. She's going to be blushing. Why? <clears throat> and there was a number of these, and I, it was difficult to pick one. Um, but it's from OMW Omea, uh, who wrote really, a, truly a wonderful comment to us. And, and uh, we appreciate all of the the the, the words and the messages and, and the, the kindness and the sincerity. Um, but in particular, Charles and I would agree <clears throat> that uh, as it relates to Lady Sussex's letter last week, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Your words for Harry Lady Sussex were touching and deep, as if written by Diana herself. Indeed, Harry walked into Westminster Abbey today full of peace and bolstered by truth and joy. It was as if he'd heard your words, Lady Sussex. Or honestly, that he feels our love and support and that he already knows the words and reflections in your letter, because those sentiments are true inspirations from Diana who guides him. Harry carries Diana's words, her love, her spirit, her legacy in his heart. So thank you, OMW Omea, and also thank you, Lady Sussex, for beautifully reading the this, letter. This comment, it's, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's so gracious. Thank you. Thank you so much. But um, it was a very, very difficult letter. I actually, <sighs> writing um, that letter, it, I had an idea what I wanted it to do. Um, but I didn't know how it was really was going to come all together. So I was putting bit and pieces here and there, try to put my thoughts, but I needed the higher power. And in fact, I did, um, look to Diana and, um, and try to feel the emotion of the day and, and, and try to. In some ways, um, think of what if it was me in that moment. And I, I, I kind of picture, I had this image come into my head, him walking in, in the church and what that will represent with the possibility that might probably be the, maybe the last time that he will be there. And something like that beside funeral. And what kind of image? What is it going to take from him? What is the emotion of it? And all that had to happen without his wife present. Because normally the soldier that he is, the protector that he is, when um, Megan is around, is to protect her and make sure that she's safe. Make sure... That you know what he you could see he's observing and looking around and make sure that not that you know she's okay, and you could always see the intensity somewhat, and so on that moment that knowing that okay that was going to be him, just him, and so this is what had the letter really um, um, that drive the the letter. So thank you so much, um, you guys for receiving it so well and quite understanding uh, where I was going with it. So thank Part you. of me wants to keep reading more of the comments about the letter just no. to keep you blushing. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I think we should move on. Okay. I'll read one, one last comment and it is another long one, but it is important. Uh, it also, it sets up our, 
again, some of the, the ways in which we're going to talk about the service today, I think anyway. Um, and it is again from Maddie B, but I promise Maddie, Maddie is not on payroll. <laughs> we are not on Maddie's payroll. We just love her comments so much. Um, so thank you, Maddie. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually a comment from uh, uh, one that we didn't get a chance to read last week, uh, just with everything going on. It's actually from two weeks ago. Uh, mm -hmm. But she wrote, uh, wow, what a great service. Thank you so much. Instigator Camilla will be in the history books someday for all the wrong reasons. God has shown us what a woman like this can do. King Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist to pacify the complaints about his wife, King Herodias, who had been public, publicly shamed by John for her their adulterous marriage. The queen knew the king's weakness and convinced her daughter Salome to dance seductively for him in return for a favor. The head of John the Baptist served on a platter for embarrassing her mother. Herodias did not love the king. She loved power. Harry will need our prayers as long as Camilla breathes. You are so right, Camilla is being mightily protected. There are events that concern me over the power of the monarchy and those behind the scenes who are there to protect it. I will always question the death of Diana and the suspicious investigation that followed. We must never underestimate Camilla's ability to get her way. King Herod died a horrible death about a year after he murdered John the Baptist. God will not be mocked. As Charles and Camilla are anointed at the cosplay on, sat on Saturday, someone should be standing off to the side with a fire extinguisher to protect the innocent. Fortunately, the rain uh, was uh, standing in in lieu of the, the fire extinguisher. Indeed. <laughs> uh, and may God continue to bless your awesome work at this unbelievable time in history. What a ride. Harry is up against a modern Goliath, but we know how the story ends. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Well, guys, let's get the show starting because before it's going to go, be before interesting. You go, before you go, you, you got to remind, you can't, we got to right. always remind them. That's right. We may pretend well, but we are not experts <laughs> and we don't, we don't claim to be. And everything is alleged. <laughs> everything, everything is alleged. Is. Everything's based on reported. Correct. All of, all of the fine print is uh, always important because it is, it matters and uh, context matters. And that's certainly one of the things that we always talk about. Uh, we're not experts and we're not here to convince anyone to change their religion, change their beliefs. Uh, what we're here to do is to ask questions and to pause and reflect and help facilitate more reflection to, to hopefully make for a better world. That's right. So let's get the shit study guys. Don't be afraid. We are society built on love, built on talent. Built on love for each other, acceptance. Give them love, give them love. Don't matter what you look like, don't matter what you believe, but just believe in love. I'm talking to Philly, I'm talking to London, I'm talking to DC, Paris, Berlin. And we can always be together, we can always give love. And we want you here. Sussex Squad, Sussex Squad Nation. Um, by now, you guys used to the words. But it's very obviously this woman made it to where she wanted to go. Or they get her to where she wanted it to go. And we have exhausted so many words to figure out what was the strategy what were they were going to use to get her there, untouched, which they did. And so now we need to slightly move our, our directions to figure out what is next. And so as I was thinking about 
what is going to be the next strategy? Okay, she made it. They did it. Oh, bravo to you guys. Well, you got her there. Now she is the mistress of it all, queen mistress, whatever the name you may have for her, um, how you want to refer her to. She's queen consort, turn queen, turn whatever. So I wanted to look at this particularly word that um, we very often hear and we kind of like, okay, yeah, but we move on. And so I wanted to revisit something we often hear and see if that could direct us to what's next to come. And those three words are words that you guys are very familiar with. The first word is theater. The second word is intermission. The third word is Poder Act Two. I wanted to look at theater because you're very often here. Oh, it's a theater. The royal family is a theater. You know, everything is happening. And I never really quite understand, you know, where is that related to what is happening? How do you play theater with people's lives? Because there is consequences there. But I started thinking, maybe I should look into to that word and see what it means. Why do they use it? And so, Charles, can you please describe theater? What does it stand for? Where did that come from? Sure. <clears throat> So theater actually uh, dates back, or the word theater actually dates back to the 14th century, um, and it has a lot of roots. So the Middle English theater actually was borrowed from the Anglo-French, and then which was also borrowed from Latin, and then finally actually was derived from ancient Greek. And so mm -hmm. all this kind of as you go back to it, um, what it really means or where it actually is derived from is basically to, to gaze at, to view, to watch, to contemplate. Uh, the act of seeing sight and spectacle of performance. Mm. That's basically all um, really where theater came from at, at its at its Greek root. But when you start looking at today's definitions, um, a lot of it is what you expect. Um, so we'll kind of go through kind of the more obvious ones quickly. But for the first, it's basically a building or area for dramatic performances. Right? That's what we all know and love. A building or area that for showing motion pictures. So you have obviously the live and then you have uh, the theater, the actual motion pictures and movies. An outdoor structure for dramatic performances or spectacles as in ancient Greek or Rome. So the amphitheater. Um, then you have dramatic literature or plays. A dramatic representation or an art or profession. A right. Drama. A place or sphere of enactment uh, of usually significant events or action theater of public life. Right. So yet again, another thing. Uh, and a place rising by steps or graduation. So that's simply just simply a place that rises up. Um, and then a room that often has rising tiers of seats or assemblies uh, for lectures, surgical demonstrations, and others. Mm -hmm. 
And then really kind of where I think the root of where we're really kind of coming from is finally the last, um, a dramatic or th uh, theatrical quality or effectiveness. Right. So not necessarily the actual literal structure of it, but basically what it actually means, which is basically that dramatic, you know, you're looking for the drama, the, the, the theatrical nature of what it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Or actually my favorite definition of it, which is basically a spectacle. Yeah. Simply a spectacle. <laughs> And what a spectacle actually is, because you actually have to link back to that, is something exhibited to view as unusual, noting, or simply entertainment. Right. So an entertainment in form of dramatic or diverting a situation or series of events from their public feud made good for theater. Right. Which I think is basically right in line with what we're talking about. Um, and as I go through and kind of this new thing that I've been doing for the last couple of weeks is basically looking for a nice example of what this actually may be doing. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of examples of of theater uh, within the royal family. So I literally just chose this one just because I kind of found it, it. It was something that I myself wasn't that much aware of. Um, and it's of recent history. It's basically about Princess Anne. And what that was is simply the fact that he was, she used to be married. She was married to an Olympic uh, equestrian named Mark Phillips for more than 20 years. And they got divorced in 1992. Um, but really they, the, the, the couple actually spent large parts of time apart from each other. And frankly, what, um, the magazines and kind of the media actually claimed it was basically, it was just a joyless sham. Wow. So, yeah. So, and it actually prompted, what actually prompted their divorce was the fact that actually, um, one of Anne's letters to her, um, close confidant, shall we say, was a little too hot to handle. <laughs> um, and so that led to the fact that, um, that she, they wanted to get divorced because obviously she was, she was seeing someone else. So again, just the whole spectacle of what that actually was. And the fact that it was just, again, more drama on a series and layers of other drama, um, of this, of this very complicated family. Wow. Was the letter ever published? Was it a public? Oh, of um, course it was. This is the British tabloid media. Mm. So it was front page news. Wow. It would be nice to look at that letter, to at least read some part of the letter, but we don't have it, do we? Or we may not be able to actually use it. Yeah. No? Well, okay. I mean, we can certainly dig into it and see if we can. <laughs> I mean, again, back in 1992, um, you know, this was before everyone got uh, so so defensive about trying to keep their privacy sane. So they may, the, the letter still may be running around. We can That's right. Look for it. That's right. So, Judge, what do you got? Oh, so much. And I think, honestly, before even getting into the, the word, uh, I think your selection of the words, Lady Sussex, uh, for today is is really quite brilliant. And it's important. And to that end, it is something that is, it is worth reiterating. Um, because something, even just looking at, at comments uh, over the last few weeks leading up to the coronation, uh, there's such a sense in the community of oh my gosh, just let this thing be done with. Let's just move on. Let's get past this. Let's stop talking about this. Oh my, it's this whole thing, just like the, the fatigue right. almost of, of the leading up to the coronation. Um, but I think to your point in selecting these words, um, that moment in time is truly is significant, whether we like it or not. Uh -huh. 
and Indeed. not only what happened during it and what it represents and it's the symbolism of it and uh, it's its political role significance all all of those attributes of it in and of itself but also it is important in in a uh, in its placement and how it separates everything else uh, and so even though it is past us chronologically it is not past us in terms of its significance um and it is worth it is important to continue to interrogate it so i think uh thank you for choosing these words i'm excited to to do them um <clears throat> thank the lord so uh theater yes theater is a is a really interesting word and uh, going back to to your your call out um charles uh it's greek roots uh is tied to those who brought it to to bear really uh in the way we understand it in uh modern times um and that itself is also significant in terms of its a uh, role and its intrinsic uh connection with politics uh because we also have to thank the greeks for democracy to that end the first journal article uh to call out is actually the political significance of the theater it's by Willie Brandt and Walter S G Cohn uh published in Comparative Drama and it's a very short excerpt taken from it but it is uh it gets to the point as the author himself writes he says with this i have already arrived in, at my central point in my discussion for politics and theater are to me first of all a mutually fruitful interrelationship expressing in different ways the same endeavor namely how to bring a man to himself and how to enable him to live as a social being we who in, pract in practical politics are involved in this effort are under daily pressures to reach pragmatic decisions therefore we can easily succumb to the danger of losing our view of those subterranean currents which influence and change the face of the world just as much as the so-called heart so-called hard facts being pursued by urgent problems we may easily overlook the important ones indeed <clears throat> and so to that end just reiterating that idea there's a uh, busyness of life and much of that is honestly um socially constructed by media in one form or another uh and can easily serve to distract us from those things that are most important that are going to change the face of the world and and to that to that end it is it is something that is worth continuing to to interrogate and and understand absolutely The second uh thing to call it is actually from uh, not a uh, not a journal article but it's actually a book <laughs> and, and you'll appreciate the title it's uh, titled Theater and Propaganda uh <laughs> by George Santo. I know that book. And so he it, it, just in terms of the the book description uh, it's this original insightful disc, uh, study explores the points at which uh theater and propaganda meet. defining propaganda as a form of activated ideology the author george uh, santo discusses the distortion of information that occurs in dramatic literature and its stage film and television forms he analyzes the nature of inter uh, integration propaganda which is designed to render the audience passive and to encourage the acceptance of the status quo uh, as opposed to agitation propaganda which aims to inspire the audience to action in the author's view most popular western theater is saturated uh with integration propaganda the one that is designed to make you accept the status quo right <clears throat> and uh he he goes on to say that the, the book goes on to rather to describe how and analyze how this nature of this integration propaganda which is saturating theater uh it, and to make it visible to western readers and and to uh everyone who is able to read the book uh that uh 
theater in many ways has become a tool of the dominant class in society in the manner by which uh, they are able to continue to enforce the status quo. And I think one, one just going into one of the chapters, I think it's the second chapter, um, he, he dives into some of the work by Jacques Goulet. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting because I think it's, it's very, um, it's very tied to the why in terms of how we do the show and why the, why in terms of the way it is. Uh, he says a discussion of the importance of propaganda within and between technological states calls for a consideration of this, uh, author, uh, Jacques Ulel. His analysis of the nature of propaganda in technological societies has expanded and restructured most Western conceptions of the nature of information. Specifically, that all information has its context. Information can never exist in a vacuum. It is gathered, created, molded, edited, packaged, released, sent out to a specific source to a specific audience in order to achieve a specific end. There is no such phenomenon as objective information. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I wonder what your thoughts on that, um, Charles. No, I think <laughs> it is just is just so telling. And I think also it's one, it's what we've been talking about for a while about how, um, truly how the world works, you know, how these things are kind of tied together, how the propaganda and how theater and basically how distraction are used in order to control. And I think it's, um, it's one of those things of, of how you need, especially in the modern society, when you just have so much thrown at you these days about how you have to filter or turn your filter up to high, uh, in terms of what you're actually consuming from a, a media perspective, just across the board. Cause you have to just kind of read in between the lines of what people are really trying to talk about and, and what really matters. And then what are they trying to get you to do as opposed to what are you really trying to find out about? So there's just so much, that you have to consider these days um, before, you know, you always, you, you know, before the internet, before social media, before all these other things, you basically had like the source, right? So you would come out and like they had, um, you know, probably a lot of our listeners may, may remember, but you had Walter Cronkite. It was basically a very famous news anchors back in the seventies. And he was labeled the most trusted person. Like, that's just what it was. Everyone just believed everything that came out of this guy's mouth. I heard about him. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's, it's way back in the day. And, you know, there was a time because there was basically just really the four big channels. Well, actually, the three big channels at the time. You had ABC, you had NBC, and you had CBS. That was it. So we only had four channels. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the main. Those, wow. that, that was just the main thing. It was before cable came out and it was before all these other things. And so that was, you know, you had your UHF. I'm getting way back in the day here. But you had very, you had very small channels, but these were kind of the big three that everyone kind of knew about. And that's just what everybody knew. That was it. That was basically you had your papers and then you had whatever Walter Cronkite and Peter Jennings and Dan Rather had to say. That was basically what you knew from your information. And you people could believe that, OK, well, that's where that's that's credible. Like there was research, there was integrity behind what it is that they're saying. And it was before the time that basically you had this 24 hour news cycle that people just had to fill and so they would just throw and spew comments and it was all about people's opinion. Whereas back in the day, it was all about just reporting the fact. What was the news that happened today? And it wasn't personal. It wasn't about trying to give some sort of editorial opinion. It was very rare when they did it. So, 
you know, these days it's the exact opposite. You have to like use a magnifying glass and tweezers trying to find the facts in between what everyone else wants you to think about their opinion. And it's, it's a very difficult thing. And I think it's caused much more fractures in our society than we would have otherwise had um, because people don't know what to believe anymore. And then you have the propaganda, you have all this theater, you have all this stuff that, um, that you have to kind of weed out and then you don't, uh, and then you're left with basically people who, um, who are confused. But I, I, I think it's fair to say we are getting into a place where people are starting seeing what's in front of them, what is really actually really happening and that they're not as confused as most people probably think or unaware of what is happening. I think maybe perhaps people feel sometimes helpless, hopeless, that where they cannot really do anything. Not that they don't know what is happening, but they don't know how to, you know, stop it. They don't know where to go. They don't know. They feel so beaten and so concerned about everything else going into their life about you know in their lives that they don't really can deal with this that they they must look out for the their family members their friends and themselves and with everything's running around them and they know it's wrong but they don't know what to do about it and i think you have another group that who pretty much said well I'm going to head to social media. This is how we're going to fight back. This is how we're going to push back. And those are the people that they now call people like myself. Hope, right? So we are woke people. And for me, I've always find that whole word, it's kind of like say a lot more about them than he says about us. This is something that I'm, I'm proud to be awake. I want to be awake. And the idea that, you know, you are saying in so many words that the generation before, which I don't believe they were, that sleeping, we were able to keep them asleep so we can do our thing. It's really just an insult. To them. <laughs> to them. Do you it's understand? What I mean? It shows the <laughs> whole, the whole, you know, drama, I guess, theater that you try to present and it's failing. And so for me, this is how, you know, I looked at them because when you looked at the words that everything that's been happening this week, everything that's started to come out, and it is in my opinion that these people, no wonder they call it theater, they are playing, you know, everyone is playing a role. The medias are playing a role, the, the, the royal are playing a role, the, um, the lords and all those aristocratic people are playing a role. And then we are just extras. We are just extras. We are being used and abused. And as most of you know, that many movies, if not all movies, made up with the actors, the extras, right? But a lot of time is the way the, the, the scene is being set. It's where 
you know, it, it take place, it give you a feeling, you know, but yet those people, that place that make that piece, that theater, that moment happen, it's very often either ignore or take advantage or pay very little. Shout out to all the writers who are now, you know, and strike. We truly, really support you guys for the work that you do. And again, here we are. These people, their imagination, and yet they have to fight. They have to fight just to have, you know, some type of right, some type of fairness. And it's seen how it's all been used and it's been played. And so for me, I wanted it to really looking at you know, the role everyone is playing that lead us to so-called Queen Kamala. Yeah, and, I, I, and honestly, to, to build on that, I think it is, to, to what you said at the beginning, it is a word that is frequently heard, when, especially when discussing the royals, the theater of it. Um, but it is also one that it, if it deserves more attention because if we've, talking about what we've just uh, been di- been discussing and reading, it is intrinsically linked with politics and how you either enable or disable, for that matter, uh, social participation. It is intrinsically linked with uh, how you uh, convey information and, and propagandize, how you, whether or not you, you um, try to uh, either force or uh, steward, I should say, people into accepting the status quo, or if you want to try to get them to be agitated to actually challenge the status quo. And to that end, it, it, it's really important to say, okay, well, then the theater itself, whether it's the building, it's the building where these, an actual play is housed, or what is metaphorically uh, the theater, what the theater has become, is super important in terms of the influence that it wields over society and and how people either accept or don't accept a given status in society. And I think that brings, we, ha- we have to have at least one mention of Shakespeare. Uh, and that's from As You Like It. He said, Shakespeare's, the, the words are, all the world's a stage. And so at the end of the day, right. this uh, this idea of theatricality of the theater, it is one that maybe perhaps was more contained before the internet because there was, you specifically had to go to a place to see this uh, drama unfold and then you had you could react to it one way or another. Right now, theater is pervasive it is constant it is you are bombarded with it in both small minutiae of the day as well as the big spectacle uh and so there's a uh, a real importance to realizing that that is in fact what it is and the effect that it has on us absolutely because when you think of the coronation what was that was supposed to represent it was the big who had entrance supposedly to Camilla, King Charles, that who has been waiting for 70 years. And what was that supposed to represent? What they known for? In my opinion, it failed. It failed to stand out to what they sell us, all of us, the thousand years, as they like to mention, of history, of that moment that theater that they have, they wanted to put that show 
and 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 one that we come to upset maybe now or look to for is whether it's the marriage, the weddings, or the the coronations for those people who had the opportunity to see it before the whole big show. And this time around, we spend how many millions that we spend to put on a show that pretty much really you like really this was that where did the money go where did the money spend on because i didn't see it the performance there was something lacked of and from where I was watching and looking at everything that was happening, that was going on, even to the audience, how they dressed up for the occasion, it was supposedly to make it somewhat be um, feeling modern, so to speak. I don't think anybody looked at the Royals when it comes to that kind of theater aspect of modern when at the same token you want to be modern and you're talking about a thousand years old and so to me i'm looking at the audience i'm looking at the great lords and all these so-called aristocrats people that was not a part of that theater that expectation the show that they were supposed to be put in was missed. I mean, when you looked at Kamala, I really wanted it to, in some really weird way, thinking that, you know what, okay, she's really going to show out. She's really going to come through. And I wanted to see how everyone was going to treat her because I'm assuming if you are there, you are there for most part for her, a lot of people. When I looked at everybody's face over many of the people that was even included, the priests, a lot of, you know, people that was in charging and putting the so-called show together. And I feel like they ignore her. They really ignore what she wanted it. I don't think she got it. I don't think she get it. The show that she herself probably wanted to put on, look at me, I think fell. I think how they think things was going to play. Studied from the rain to Charles, you know, sort of have a tantrum, <laughs> you know, to I don't know what was going on with that gold thing that they put on him, the purple. And the whole thing was a hot mess. For someone that waited 70 years to crown king and what that represent, what that actually is, you know, you putting on a show, you decided you was going to go with the big gold carriage. Well, 
Give me something memorable. And I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But what I told you that I did see was King Harry walking in that aisle. The smile, the confident, shoulder back, the deep breathing that I spoke about, sat there. And it's like no one else existed. And he stands out, spat up that he has a red feather <laughs> in front of his face. But you look for him, you search for him. And honestly, it's almost like I see Diana was all over that coronation. And that was my opinion about that day. I think it's, <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. And honestly, the <laughs> really appreciated Baron's uh, summary of their clothes and appearance after, I guess it was the, that night or the next day, whatever, whenever it was, right. was hilarious. Um, but I think what you say brings to mind this uh, this idea that, uh, and it's, it's very interesting because it's not at all what he meant. Um, but Thomas Hobbes, uh, basically said that uh, it is no more than an illusion to believe that there is any difference between expressing your personality, one's personality, and playing a role. And I think, to be honest, he was probably more talking, in his time, probably talking more about the nature of free will and the how does it actually, how do you fit in society, an, ex an explanation as such, uh, with a sort of a cynical view of, of an, an individual's role. Um, but in the modern world, in today's world, I would actually flip that on its head uh, and actually suggest that that now means that every single person has this role on this world stage. Every single person has agency, can right. impact uh, how this uh, plot line actually develops. And even whether it's the priests who basically pay Camilla no mind <laughs> as she's, as she's, she's walking entering. in, as she's entering, or if it's the, uh, the listeners to this, this show or any of the Sussex squad, anyone that right now the the it is true the world is is truly a stage and that is the way in which politics the arrangement of people and places and things and and relationships is defined through this sort of theatricality and this sort of way in which life is expressed through theater okay and we all have that role so if that is the case if we should look at what is happening as theater if we are either actors or fillers or extras in that show that many of us either understand or don't understand. So how should we look at Because before we go to what that act two going to be, because we already see what act one is. Because right now we are in an intermission. And so I wanted to know, is this intermission what we are seeing at this moment is preparing us? And how should we look at what actually will be? So Charles, 
What is the definition of intermission? Okay. Uh, intermission actually comes from the 15th century. Uh, it is actually very simple. It comes straight from Latin. Um, and it's a derivation of, in, you know, intermittent is basically what it is. And what in number one, uh, first definition is, is an interval between parts of an entertainment. Mm-hmm. Such as the acts of a play, as you so eloquently set up. And then also what you have is the act of intermitting, which is basically to cause uh, to cease for a time. Uh, but there was also kind of another uh, word that they sometimes kind of interject um, that also as a reference in terms of what it could be, which I thought was actually the most interesting. It's kind of just like almost a side reference. And that is to discontinue mm. is another is another reference to what an intermission can be. It's basically a stop or to cease. Um, and I, for the quick example of this, uh, is something that everyone is very well aware of, so I'm not going to get too down into it. Um, but what it brought to mind, at least for myself, is basically the intermission or basically the ceasing or the discontinuing of a particular royal line, which was basically um, Edward VIII when he married Wallace Simpson. Uh-huh. So when that happened, he just decided he was going to abdicate. And so not only did he necessarily kind of abdicate for himself, but also his entire family line that basically none of his children could also kind of inherit the throne either. Um, and I just thought to myself, I was like, wow, that's, that is definitely a pause <laughs> in the Royal line of succession of basically just being like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to opt out of this um, really, really fast. So that, that for me, basically I think is um, what first kind of, um, struck me just in terms of, okay, well, what is, what is the, the, the nearest kind of, um, example that I can kind of call from a most well-known example of when someone just wanted to actually take a break. Right. So George. An intermission is really, really interesting. Uh, because <laughs> I don't know if everyone knows this, but if you go and spend some time looking, there is a vast area of study on specifically in, in plays the the significance of the placement of intermissions because it's not sort of this uh oh it this just sort of happens and then we move on it actually its placement has a real impact on on the entire meaning and and the experience for the audience and one of those uh studies which i think we can borrow some ideas from just to understand what uh, how to think about the timing of this and perhaps what should we be expecting and what should we be looking for uh, as an article called the, the interim is mine placing the intermission slash interval in today's Shakespeare production. It's by Alan Dessen uh, from the Shakespeare bulletin. So a very different area than some of the other journals we've looked into like the That's Harvard right. <laughs> law review and, and things like that. But you've got to draw from our, all areas. <clears throat> so uh, what he writes is that uh, if at least one break is deemed imperative, what are the options and implications? In in some instances, the choice is obvious because there's just a long amount of story that has progressed between the, the acts, and so you need to kind of set it up. Uh, perhaps there's other uh, reasons, but regardless, what he says is that such choices do have consequences. And and I'm not going to read it verbatim just because he, he goes into a whole bunch of different examples of different plays and, and uh, w what he's calling out, but basically summarizes it in two ways. In, in one way, the placement of the intermission can serve to create a very impactful closing image on a given scene. Uh -huh. 
And so what is that final uh, of the, of the act of the, uh, the action that leads to a given point before the intermission? When, if you pause at that moment, that final thing that the audience is seeing is imprinted on their minds that much more strongly. And so how do we think about that in terms of leading up to, uh, the coronation? And the other, uh, thing, which I think is interesting, and it also leads to the, the other, uh, some, one of the other journals is that that placement of, uh, an intermission for better or for worse can actually uh, break up and blur the action, the sequence of action, the sequence of events, and actually even eclipse what's really going on because the fact that it is, there's disruption, there's this pause, the rest of the events are continuing to, to progress as they have. Yes, there's a pause in between them, but the fact that there is that pause makes you not even realize what's really happening or how they're building on each other. Interesting because for me, when I'm the way I am looking at intermissions, and um, how does that fit into this moment of what we've just been through the last couple years and what's happened somewhat that lead us to now we must call Queen Kamala. And the theater of it all, as they like to call it, what the media has done and how they played a role. And so now we find ourselves, they got what they wanted. And we are now on an intermission in us asking, what's now? What are they going to do? You know, how should we view this intermission that's going to lead us to act two? Because there will be an act two. How should we look at that? And is it fair to say that, you know, that intermission is sending signal to tell us that what we have been thinking or not what we are thinking, what they think, how they think the ending will be, or the second part will be, it's not going to be as easy or as simple. And in fact, the players are being revealed. It's almost looking at a phantom things. It's almost like, I don't know what, I'm not really, I can quickly think right now. Like, let's just say, I don't know which movie I must have seen it or a book that I've read. It's like that kind of like you hear this person talking, you hear this person, you know, the whole time it's manufacturing thing. And then yet you have no idea who that is. Everybody's guessing. I guess Bridgerton probably would be an idea that, that letter that constantly writing and everybody, it just like that letter. It's so impactful into that community but yet, no one can tell who's actually writing this letter. And when it was revealed, and who we all thought it maybe wasn't. And now the question is, the effect all this, what that letter has done to this group of people, the societies, and how it was break or make. But all of a sudden, there is the possibility that turn against the person that who's been writing this letter. Should we look at 
these clips at the moment of what's happening in the court. There was a spate of stories that came out because of mobile phones. When they first came out mobile phones, journalists found out that if the celebrity hadn't changed their PIN code... Yeah, you right? can access their voicemail. You can ac access their voicemail just by tapping a number. Now, are you really telling me that journalists aren't going to do that? Yeah. If they know they can ring up Charlotte Church's mobile phone, listen to all her messages, right? Now, all you have to do, and I know it's hard because celebrities don't like doing anything for themselves, <laughs> is actually change your security Yeah, I've number. changed my security number. And now you don't have to worry. Exactly. Hello. Are you prepared to apologize? All I'm going to say is I'm not going to take lectures on privacy invasion from Prince Harry somebody who spent the last three years ruthlessly and cynically invading the royal family's privacy for vast commercial gain and told a pack of lies about them. So I suggest he gets out of court and apologises to his family for the disgraceful invasion of privacy that he's been perpetrating. The High Court heard today that there were legal practices That's all I've got to say. While you're at the helm. Are you willing to apologise? Apologise? I think, I think Prince Harry should be apologising for his disgraceful invasion of privacy of the royal family. And others, by the way. Thank you. Piers Morgan. Even the little clip that's been going around, the fact that, you know, we have a waitress come out defending Princess Meghan. Time I was in the room, everything that I heard, saw, experienced firsthand, she is lovely, respectful, kind, was just having dinner with her friends. That's it, like any one of us. It's not newsworthy at all. I guess it's newsworthy because people have this preconceived notion about her. Nothing that I experienced was like that with her. She was great, always pleasing, thank you, always eye contact, always engaging having a really great time with her friends in this private room so she had no excuse to be anything other than herself because she was now in a safe environment and so i saw in my opinion what i feel was the real megan she was just alone with her friends and i was a bit of a fly on the wall and i thought she was fantastic um the night ended she left she said goodbye to all of us it did say to my colleague after you know everything was said and done what did you think of her since he was the main person in the room and he spent a significant amount of time in there? He said to me, Krista, I got to tell you, she's one of the nicest human beings I have ever met in my life. Not celebrity, not civilian, not doesn't matter. Totally the nicest human I have ever met in my life. He couldn't stop raging about her. So maybe everybody needs to back off a little bit and give her a little bit of grace because she's really lovely. To one thing that really happened this week that I was really shocked about. It was almost like, wow, these people know how to do this. For the first time that I feel like it was one of those days that was a flipping and searching and every single report was fair. And there was such a something about it that I feel like I, if only it was like that all the time. And I'm starting wondering, what is at play here? What is it that King Harry is doing to these people when they thought that they had it? They had it in the bag. 
even to the apology that they put on first before they even get in into arguing the stuff that started coming out all that is happening in the intermissions because now we're not fighting about the coronation we're not talking about you know queen kamala becoming queen <laughs> queen of mistress we are not talking about the media what the media has done should we look at intermissions and act two, the downfall, the chaos of the media, the press media? Well, more so the um, tabloids, tabloid media. Yes, I think that's a very, very interesting idea. I think it makes perfect sense. And and honestly, there's a, I almost don't want to. To say this because it's a it's like a parallel thought related to it but it feels like it's important because it's like two sides of the same coin um and it's it, it spurs this idea it, it perfectly sets up this this uh, author melinda maxfield's um what she wrote in a journal titled the comparatist it's the the article is the curtain and often ignored structural element um and just to take a, a short excerpt from it, what she says is one of the structural elements of drama, which is too often ignored, is the curtain. By curtain, I do not necessarily mean a literal curtain or a heavy velvet, but whatever means is used to indicate a definite break in the stage action, whether it is a blackout or an exit of all the actors, as is sometimes the case in the area arena. The curtain is a unique property of the playwright, and he can use it to direct and focus his audience's attention and perception. In fact, it is imperative that the playwright playwright realize the uniqueness of the curtain because to be effective he must take into account the attention span of his live audience in a way that a novelist poet or screenwriter does not have to and part of that and goes on later on there's a mention of how that that intermission that use of the curtain is specifically about how do you redirect or own the audience's attention and i think perhaps not in the way that the author meant but as is relevant to where we are today there is an idea that Perhaps uh, I think uh, captains of industry, for lack of a better term, may assume that, uh, as reports indicate that continue to come out, nobody has any attention span anymore to pay attention to these important issues because or maybe we're just distracted by urgent issues of the day. But it is almost a, a call to action to the Sussex squad or all, anyone who honestly cares about the direction of society that this, what Harry's doing, uh, how this is now starting to play out after the coronation, it is something that cannot uh, lose attention just because Absolutely. there's been that intermission. Just because the curtain fell on, on Act 1 doesn't mean it is actually even more important that the attention persist. That's right. It's it's not what you think. It's it's like the unexpected. And, and sometimes this is where the rejoice come from. This is where... It's, it's kind of like that intense feeling. And we all think that, you know what, the movie is going to end this way. How horrible it's going to be. And then somehow come a miracle happen that turn everything's around. Everything's around. And so for me is that, you know, I looked at moment in politics 
that is resemble what we are seeing right now and and i guess the only one that i'm aware of or at least now um it's it's obama hillary clinton and i think how we sort of and it repeated it twice to be honest it's um everyone love love hillary and um when Obama was coming around, as impressive as he was, it's almost like we accept that, you know, he's great, he's wonderful. But the feeling to many people that moment was, why can't you just go for the number two seat? You will never win. You will never win. And there is precedent for us to feel that way. There was a reason for us to feel that way. I don't think he ever doubted himself. And there was people who believe in him. And that believe, that believe in himself, and that believe that, you know what, why should he be number two? Once he win her Iora and all of a sudden, all the support, even into the black community, started like, we can actually do this. And so I don't know if this truly tied in what is happening because the media is such a powerful force the force that you know harry talk about there is that guy that that king that 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 prince that they done so much to that they doubt and put doubt in people's mind or that woman that black woman or that that barish woman that they tried to crucify there is absolutely no way these people could be a factor because we know how to do this. We know how to destroy lives. We know how to make people think otherwise. This is something we know how to do. And uh, all of a sudden come this woman rejecting that notion and say, no, you're not going to destroy me. I'm going to fight. Then you have that King that no one thought can stand that strong to that power and said, you know, I'm willing to bet it off, give it all I got, but the truth is going to come out. And we can see has that starting changing. Because for all the life they have destroyed everyone that has feared these people and continue somewhat fear them the whether it's the tabloids whether it's the politicians whether it's the actors whether it's the celebrities whether it's just regular people they are building that confidence because that possibility it's there and you can see things are started leaking 
And so for me, this is how I'm choosing to see how should we push? How should we sort of um, fight? How do we change the fight? How do we get the villain to reveal themselves in a way that will be, that will help society and change things for us to be able to move forward, to finally be able to do what needs to be done, which is caring for our countrymen, our people. So, am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. And honestly, I think that's the 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 tie back to the one of the first things we we talked about in today's service. To go back to Ruth R D's comment, part of doing that, part of achieving that in this moment, especially given that the curtain has just fallen on Act One, is to not let that stage trick uh, distract us. As she writes, this Ruth said, the, the battle is raging on so many fronts and the squad must not be distracted. And so that's, that is at least step one of, of continuing that fight is to, to keep the attention and to keep the focus. Absolutely. So Charles, do you have anything you'd like to add on or should we move on to act two? Well, just one other thing. What's always interesting when you start talking about the distinction between acts and the intermission is basically there's always a pivot. Mm-hmm. Like the story doesn't continue as it as it does. There's always a change, and I think that's something that we all have to recognize in terms of what is that pivot going to be. And to your point, it could be you know it it could be the amongst the principal actors. It could be something with the royal family. It could be something against the press themselves and the media. It could be something around politics and how all three of these things intertwine. But the fact is there will be a change. Or it could be us, the extras. That's right. We're all on the stage. Right. So all of these things um, and how they are intertwined and then um, how they relate to each other is, is due for an upset. And so I think it's up to all of us to keep a very close eye in terms of how the plot develops, because that's really what it's about. It's about understanding what the plot is and then how the plot structurally is actually going to, to, to deviate or, or evolve over time. And then how we, as those extras are basically involved in that play. Yeah, I do think that, you know, they fail to realize how important in the role that the extras, when you think of who we are, the squads, and what we have done, and what we have accomplished, and only history will tell that story. And so, we at the moment... It's at the center stage, whether they choose to see it or not, or looked at it or not, is that we are making a difference. And it's that difference that the difference that we are making, it's like nothing before. Or at least my own, you know, reconnection. Nothing that I, I could say, oh, wow, 
you know, this has been done that way, that kind of force, that kind of, you know, mentality that, you know, we have as the, 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 my generation, our generation here, that we have nothing to lose attitude and we all bring it on. We don't have a problem having this discussion, this hard discussion, which before when you looked at everything, it's almost like we're speaking in parable. Right? This is how it used to happen. You say this, it's supposed to mean that and everything, whatever. You, you're really very careful. Now people are willing to take risks. And we're willing to call people out. It's like we are fighting a fight that we will call things for what it is. If you're abusing me, I'm going to tell you you're abusing me. Whatever it is that is happening, we have, and I don't think it's something that they were prepared for. I think it's something that they overlook. And I think at this point right now, for the kind of work we are doing, because you cannot just get in, you can call off anything that you want, but what you cannot say that we are not effective in what we do. And so for me, I think that, you know, they can keep on looking at us as these unimportant extras in that movie. But I think that, you know, the strength of to these actors, the weakness of these actors will fall on how we describe play a role into the saga. I know you. I know you wanted to go on to the next word, but what you just said just got got me thinking, and I think it's it's so interesting because when we talk about everything that we've been talking about from theater or through intermission and all of it, and understanding how what is a theater, how does it work, the fact that the world's a stage and that it's changing with technology and as society evolves, and all of that, fantastic. Maybe I mean, maybe one of the words that we should have done uh, could have been, or not we should have, but could have done would have been audience. But I think what you've what you're mentioning to me got me thinking about this the fact that the audience themselves the line between audience and participant or audience and extra or extra and the next roll up in whatever the hierarchy is of the play of driving the plot forward uh is something that's not rigid it's fluid uh and is dependent on the actions of of uh, each person at each stage and there's so many times you could go look on uh, anywhere on YouTube or anywhere else. You could see how audiences participation can make or break a show. I mean, I think that's one of the things that the planners of the, the coronation cared so much about is who was going to show up and were they going to uh, participate or not. Um, and that just one, one little tidbit of, of background to share with the audience about you, Lady Sussex and your sense of humor. Um, there's one there's I don't can't think of a time that I've heard you laugh harder than when you first watched Florence Foster Jenkins. <laughs> and I bring that up just because there's I don't know if everyone's seen it or not, but there's a moment in which uh, Florence is singing. And if you don't know the story. She basically she can't sing, but they she can't sing, but they can't say that she didn't sing. Basically, um, she was getting booed by one member of the audience. And so she got disheartened. She got scared. She was going to stop her performance, stop singing. Uh, and it took one person in the audience to stand up and say, Hey, 
shut up the the naysayer, tell that person to stop booing her, and get everyone else to be involved and to encourage and to support. That's right. And it started this movement of of support for the person on the stage, of um, kind of uh, just even the idea of being supported, of being cheered on, even though you know it's going to be difficult what you're doing or scary or whatever it is, the ability to go on and continue. And I think that is a, um, it's a good analogy to think about for everyone. That's either a, a, a member of the squad that is out there speaking or donating or watching or commenting or whatever the method is of, of supporting or being a part of that community, the, the recognition that that is one, it's blurring the lines of the stage important in an important way to be able to drive the, the plot forward correctly and it is so important also to those characters of this play uh like prince harry and and princess megan who are at the center of the stage who really do depend on that interaction and that support from all areas absolutely just to quickly before moving on to act two on uh, the definition of that because you mentioned that movie it was um i didn't know what to expect I know everyone was talking about that movie. I didn't know much about that woman's life. And so, yes, just to hear her, you know, sort of um, the first note and got me, <laughs> got me. But once I started getting into the movie, that movie has um, an impact in my life on how to, regardless what people think. It's what you believe in yourself that can get you. And this woman was the biggest selling in Carnegie Hall to present, I believe, in terms of her record. And what does that mean when you have the confidence and you can just overlook that what anyone is saying and do what needs to be done? And I looked at the squads, what we are doing, the work that we are doing, or even the the youth and in, 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 in our generation, how we see things. It's it's you can continue because the whole idea is it's to make us feel fear at all time. If you fear, then you can't move. And now you're dealing with a generation that doesn't have that fear, that you're not going to fear us like that, regardless what you may do. Even if you, you kill us, you try to shut us down, then three more come out, four more come out, five more come out, and saying the same thing, fighting the same cause, even harder. We realizing... We have no choice. It's like one of the things that, you know, I've very often hear the older folks say, you know, um, you say good morning to the devil, he'll eat you, but you curse the devil, he will whatever, so you might as well say curse out the devil. That is a new saying to uh, me. Who are you listening to? Yeah, I, I don't know. That is is that something saying. from your mother? <clears throat> something something about I think I have to hear it because I love hanging out with, you know, I call it the all, older dolls. And that's my think on how, you know, I find, you know, older folks too. Many of them look like dolls. I, I love them. And so I like being around them. I like having that kind of wisdom. 
And so obviously, I don't think I'm quoting it really well, <laughs> but it's something in that line that, you know, sort of, you know, I'm sure Sussex Squad Nation can back me up on that thing. But anyway, so I'll move on. <laughs> so Charles, Act 2, what sh- should we view Act 2 and what does it mean? Sure. I'll just say that I just quickly Googled what you were talking about. Uh-huh. No results. So, <laughs> I, I don't know where that came I from. I don't whatsoever. think everything is Googleable. But oh, please, please, Sussex Squad Nation, tell me what they're saying because I know I've heard it somewhere. Please. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to know. Uh, okay. Second act. First of all, interestingly enough, um, it was difficult to find in terms of uh, actual definition. Webster's doesn't have it. Okay. So it's much more of an idiom as opposed to an actual definition or an actual word. So uh-huh. um, so when I started looking at it, uh, the thing that I started looking at actually was uh, go back to the actual word act. So in which comes from basically the, uh, the late uh, 14th century. And it's a thing done. And it's Latin for actus or something of doing or driving an impulse, setting in motion a part of a play. Um, so that's really kind of where it comes from. It's basically the second time that you do a thing is kind of what this phrase comes from. And the literal definition is the second, um, literally the second of a major division in a play, film, or opera, or the second is a second period of a stage or something, um, especially in which its initial aspects are followed up, expanded, or further developed. And then lastly, um, a later stage in one's life characterized by distinct uh, divergence from a previous stage. So those are kind of the three things that kind of look at it. And then for me, um, the the biggest and best example I can think of in terms of like, you know, a second act would be, you know, Harry himself, really. I mean, I can't think of a better example just in terms of somebody who's actually, you know, a distinct divergence of what actually previously had been happening. And then again, um, a plot that has further developed or a person's very character, good, a person's good. character who is actually further developed. Um, you know, I think that where he was coming from uh, himself as, you know, again, as I kind of read through his book and memoir uh, and about how he's kind of progressed as an individual who was kind of always, you know, shadowed over and, um, somebody who basically was always the butt of jokes a lot of times, honestly, he was, he was the spare. Um, and then now somebody who can stand up on his own, I think is a great, uh, a great example of what a second act should be. That was very, very good and very interesting how you linked that, that I was not really thinking about the fact that he considered to be the second and yet Probably should it be not be, um, it's almost like the, the, the meat of the theater that we in was all fell into the first act and the second act should be just like mellow, but yet this is where the drama coming in. This is where it's starting developing by the second act. So it was a very, very good how you set that up. So thank you for that. So Josh, I'm moving to you. No, actually I love that too, because I think it's, it's the, um, him, Harry as a second act, I think is important in a lot of ways. Uh, one is, as Charles was just saying that to come from where he was in his life and to progress to where he is now and what he's doing, it is 
it is a it is a beautiful and an inspiring story for so many, and I think that in and of itself is just important. Absolutely. Um, and the the extent of the character, because you said butt of a joke, and honestly, and you were talking about the book, and it got me talking about how he had those headlines of him when he was uh, pictures of his butt from some club or something that was all uh-huh. over the headlines, and to now be where he is, to be uh, standing with that confidence, walking in the world in the way that he is walking, having that history behind him and being able to confront that history face it and grow from it and not diminish because of that because that's crazy if you think maybe we kind of separate it because there's always this idea of oh these royals they're separate they're this whole like almost like inhuman in a way uh-huh. and you kind of you separate the the fact that they do in fact have human emotions <laughs> that's right um, but to be to have that second act follow what the first act was, how difficult the first act must have been for him, is truly impressive. It's also interesting to think about Harry's second act in terms of Diana's second act, yeah. um, and because he is yes, he is the spare, but perhaps uh, it's a different S word that is matters the most now that he's the second act, uh, not just the spare, and, is, and that is that he is the plot development. He that's is right. How, he is how things move forward. That's right. It's how the movie the theater that we all find ourselves in, how things is are developing for many people who goes to Broadway, goes to theater or go to movies, whatever. Sometimes you have an idea. Okay. It's all based. Everything is based on act one and that act one supposed to determine whether or not you want to stay for the intermissions or not or you leave during the intermissions or you sort of say okay well i already pretty much know what it is about and i'm accepting act two just to see it finish but i don't really have anything or i don't think there's nothing else that need to be add on because it's all about williams right it's all he's supposed to cannot do can do no wrong right Everything it's 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 based on that. Everything it was William, 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 just like Charles, right? So this is what it was about. And in some ways discount how crucial act two bring it with mm-hmm. Harry is and that show it's going to either stand or fall based on this actor who brilliantly emerging in the darkness of act one when he hit spared and coming out and learning everything we are learning say everything that he's saying but there was so much going around that time on act one that we couldn't focus too much but yet that scene everything about it is being built to developing what act two going to be where he we he is the center of act two it's almost like you know the role that he's playing what is happening in act two or about to happen or how we should understand act two will be is that you're not even now thinking about act one now you're really truly not thinking about it or am i wrong to actually see it that way 
it, you know. No, I think that. Uh, no, I think that that's exactly right, and I think that is it is it is part of what needs to be at the forefront for everyone thinking about what it is that they should be looking for, what to expect, how should Act Two, how is Act Two going to commence? Uh, is is the reality of how Act One ended, and where each of the players within this theater of that is life uh, has has been progressing to, and I think that. Charles actually, before when we were still uh, discussing the word intermission, hit hit the nail on the head as it relates to the second act and what it really means. Uh, because in in theater, in 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 how these stories, uh, which are reflect and creative of life itself, uh, play out, is that sec- the second act always brings a dramatic evolution in the plot. It brings a shift. It brings a change in direction. It, it, it advances the story. It can't continue exactly as it has been. Um, and if you go back to like theater 101, one of the things that they teach you is that there's really everything is either classified in one of two ways. It is either a tragedy or it is a comedy. And, uh-huh. and the comedies, there's a very simple difference is that depending on, on how they store, like part one versus part two, comedies, they start in chaos uh, and they end in order. Tragedies start in order and they end in chaos. And so part of it is, again, thinking about the agency that each of us have in determining whether this is a tragedy or a comedy. Um, that, on the one hand, of, of how to think about it, but on the other hand, is that to each party involved in this, whether it's the royal family, whether it's the tabloids, whether it's just everyday people, uh, has a different perspective and a different set of values, potentially, on how they classify things, what they consider to be chaos and what they consider to be order, whether it's a good thing for them or it's not. And I think when we talk about the tabloid media, part of it was we we talked about quite a bit leading up to the coronation is that there's this there was this sense of chaos of absolute what what is going on these headlines things are not making sense how do they don't add up the way that things were progressing and if that is the story they are trying to tell then what it leads to and what should be expected for people watching this play out or people watching as people try to steer the story to their own advantage is if they had been in a state of chaos and they want this to actually end well for them to work well for themselves, then that chaos from act one leading up to the coronation, you would expect it to begin to resolve in order. I I, I think that there is a miscalculation because if you're accustomed of doing the same thing and it work, it work brilliantly. So then, why change it? And I think, in my opinion, that's how they looked at it. When you think about these people know how powerful that they are. They can destroy lives anytime they want. They could make people do whatever they want. People run away. And if you happen to catch them in the act, well, they settle. It's not a big, it, it's, it change for them. That doesn't stop them. They've been at this for over, when you're looking at what is study coming out in the court, even though now they are playing, oh, it's too old, you should bring it, blah, 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 to now we are apologizing for what was done supposedly on their behalf as if like there wasn't aware that it's happening. There was no supervising on where did you get your stories? How did you get this story? Why is it on if you're the owner? But they want us to believe somehow they are very unaware of it, that they don't know. And so allege, so we have to allege all these things 
but it's not making any sense. But what they didn't realize would happen. Maybe if we pay Harry, maybe if we pay, then it'll go away like many times before allegedly they have done. Like when you think exactly Williams. So now all of a sudden someone said no. And it he is playing that risk. But and that risk there is a lot of fear. And I will go on to say, in my opinion, at the moment, the media may have a lot to fear of in terms of what can actually come out. The chaos that can actually turn into because everybody start turning on each other and you could start seeing the sign of that. And we, the Sussex squad, have our popcorn with butter and a nice whatever your choice of drink and for me it's resonant inside the popcorn oh you never have resonant and if you go to the movies and you you put the resonant inside the popcorn and then you like mm, it's getting good and then your hand is greasy and then you like lost and before you know it it's like the popcorn is <laughs> I don't like raisins resonance Mm-mm. It's got raisins. Or, goob- it? or goobers, uh, I think. Also, too. That was well, really let's, good. Let's just be clear. I haven't been into theater in a very in a while now because my and life that, is just yeah. busy. No, what what happens is is that you have the popcorn and you, you have the raisinets, but you don't actually dump the raisinets oh, in no, the popcorn because what happens is that it melts the <laughs> it melts the chocolate off of the raisins. Well, that's if the the popcorn is hot. Once it starts getting warm, oh, it's so good. It's it's so good. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get it's a bit of a tangent. Yeah, I'm going to get I my own popcorn. I, no I digress. I digress. So, yeah. So we are watching this playing out and how it's going to play out. And so please, guys, come on, take it <laughs> because I just went someplace. <laughs> but the Sussex squad understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't condone raisins inside of chocolate raisins. Raisins, raisins. Yeah, chocolate raisins, raisins inside of popcorn. I think that's how they call them. I don't know they why are. we all give them that kind uh, of plug. I anyway. don't know either. I don't know either. But anyway, so yeah. Well, so to build on that, I think it's 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 very interesting, and it's hard to say uh, <coughs> it's going to be one thing or another because of the fact that uh, this is not a preordained. Uh, future you know so it's not it there is that's a whole separate philosophical discussion about the nature of free will in the future but as we're talking about it now everyone has their own agency every party in this sort of play has a has something that they either can choose to do or not do they have choices to make and those choices have consequences and so the to your point of the them miscalculating and not really understanding who harry is and who the support is behind him who like how much support he was going to get in this uh in this 21st century world connected through social media um it is it is setting up act two to be probably very different than they had expected the the second act um but what it also brings to mind is this the final kind of separate uh source 
to uh to, to for me anyway to to mention is actually npr uh they had an interview with um one of the um scholars of f scott fitzgerald fitzgerald um and there's something yeah there's and i think in this context the uh, american society can can serve as a stand-in for western society generally um, but what, how the, this NPR article goes is you've likely seen or heard a news story in recent years that began something like this. F. Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, there are no second acts in American lives, but Fitzgerald clever, cl- clearly never met, and then you fill in the blank. Uh, because it seems like there's a whole generation of American politicians who had fallen from grace only to rise again and disprove the line, whether it was Bill Clinton, Newt Gingrich, Elliot Spitzer. And so that's this idea that there's this line that... F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote that there's clearly no second acts and then how it has come to life and use today because clearly people do have second acts. I mean, we've, we've seen that. Um, but what I thought was interesting that this, this scholar uh, offered is that, one, there's actually two places that uh, that idea from Fitzgerald arose in two different um, places. Um, but what it um, – he, he doesn't think that he, this is what actually F. Scott Fitzgerald meant, but not to get too into the weeds, he does offer this one idea, which I think is important for us. Uh, is that? But it does say that we are always caught between the past and the present, and we carry the burdens of both. And so I think there is a reality to think about how this second act comes to life. What it means is that it is simultaneously, it, it is the present, yes, but it is simultaneously informed by what act one had been, how Act One resolved, how the intermission was placed, and really how all of the different people on the stage are contributing to the direction of the second act. Absolutely, absolutely. George, Charles, sorry. <laughs> Charles. You're still flustered by the popcorn thing, huh? <laughs> I, know. I think so. I know. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's. Uh, I think that's really interesting just in terms of how everything truly does develop. And then also I think it, you know, how we develop as people just generally. Um, and it's, it's sometimes it's really beneficial to look at yourself from an outsider's point of view, because sometimes when you're caught up in your own emotions, when you're caught up in your own day-to-day things, um, it's very difficult to say, okay, should I go right or should I go left? But if you start looking at things more collectively and you take kind of, uh, some distance, uh, it helps you see, okay, well, you know, where should things be going and then how should you be behaving? And then also how are you relating to other people and things? So I think that this, this whole idea, um, of, of seeing, you know, as Shakespeare famously said, you know, the world's a stage as trying to, to see yourself being on it and then understanding the role that you play in it, uh, may give you a little bit um, more agency in terms of what it is you're trying to accomplish. And then also, um, you know, you know, truly on whose side you happen to fall on. Well, well, if we don't have anything else to say before we go to our conclusion, um, should we move to a wonderful verse? I think you pick for us, um, Charles, I did, and I did. we'll go into worship, and then we'll come back and close out the show and give our opinions <laughs> what we think Act Two should will be. Okay, the verse for today is Proverbs twenty four ten through twelve. 
If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Amen. Let's enjoy together our first song and see you guys on the other side to close out the service. If your thoughts are like a storm and you can't stop the rain If you're carrying your past like it's a ball and chain If you feel like it won't get better There's hope, don't you dare say never Step out of the dark into a brand new day so many ways, especially on Mother's Day. And so as we're moving forward to Act 2, and it's not just going to be Harry, which we have an idea, the center stage that he's going to be taking, but there will be an Act 2 for Charles and Kamala. And as you see in a later service, 
we'll try to entertain or talk about what we think it will be. Because right now it seems like there is a confusion. You know, on one hand, if you read the article, oh, they want the Sussex to stay far and far away. Oh, Prince Charles will welcome Prince Harry and, 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 and Meghan Markle back. They have no idea what it is that they want because now that they put all the eggs in one basket and fight a hard fight to get to the coronations. And the question is, then what? Then what happened next when you have the media if we think right it's about to fight their own fight and how do they bring the royal themselves with them because it's because for many we, this is the reason why we are here right so how should we really center stage act two how should we view it as we're moving forward and what part we as the so-called or maybe feel like we are extra a part of that movie a part of that theater with all the suffrage with all the need that's out there somehow we feel forced to play part in a play that we did not ask for that we many of us don't want we want to change we want to be different to reflect the people where the scene is being creating you can't have a movie in a city in a country when the movie has nothing to do with the people that is there and yet you're using those people to build the play if my summarize it really good but the point is 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 that you know what people are still starving people are still you know thank god for summer coming in people don't have food based on what's been reported politicians it's still not holding the part of their bargain and still try to figure out how do we fix Brexit the media it's loss not I mean I'm talking about the tabloid media loss in some ways their way of who they are and so how do should we both of you guys here in Sussex Squad Nation and I know you guys are gonna comment in and I look forward to your comment. How should we move with act two or looked at it? Well, I think um I think we talked about it a little bit earlier about you know what is our role in this whole thing. And I think we're doing that now, uh, as well as our listeners, about taking more of an active role. And we don't necessarily have to settle with just being the extras. I think we have our own role to play. Everyone is a protagonist in their own show. 
So I think we have to think of collectively, um, what is it that it, that, that we want? And then at the same time, you know, how can we use the power that we have as the group, as society, because there's, there's a big secret that the wealthy and the elite don't want you to know. And society is not them. They are the minority. The the society is the rest of us. Interesting. And, and we can shape our future. So much in the way that how they funded the coordination and indeed the entire lifestyle of the royal family, it comes from all the extras. Amen. Their literal life is is due and and given by the taxpayer, by society. So I think we need to organize and recognize our own power and then put it to our best benefit and not necessarily the benefit of those who seek to oppress. Powerful, Charles. Thank uh, you for that. that. Yeah, I don't, know how I, can, I don't know how I can follow that. That was very, very, very powerful. I think the only thing I can say uh, is that in that same vein of thinking and understanding that it is to everyone in the blurred line between audience and extra, that recognition that there is always agency, there is always a role to play. Um, and it is important that we do not lose sight of the fact that though the minority may have control over when the curtain drops or when the bigger spectacle is deployed, <clears throat> that it is our attention and our focus that is how we can shift things. And it is important, just as Ruth said in her comment, to not be distracted from that which truly matters, to not let the urgent dissuade uh, focus from the important. Uh, and that is something that everyone just has to have in mind uh, and to use to guide their own individual actions uh, in terms of how do they contribute to making this turn out to be uh, not a tragedy, uh, but a comedy and one that ends in a better society for all. Absolutely. So thank you both for both of you guys. And as we moving to prayer, I thank you both for the support. I thank you Sussex squads for continue um, supporting us. Thank you for that. Happy Mother's Day to you all. May God bless you. May God watch over all of us. May God continue blessing the Sussexes and their family, and particularly Dogia. Thank you to Princess Diana, wherever you are, for playing a crucial role in the last couple weeks and months that lead us to something not to feel defeated but to feel empowering as we're moving forward to second act so please taking care of your mental health please care for one another and not we're not going to stop we're going to move forward and so george please walk us into prayer and 
please stay and worship with us and to these wonderful songs for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Dear Lord, on this Mother's Day, we pause and thank you, especially for all of the mothers all around the world who are at the heart of humanity, at the heart of our societies, at the heart of love. Thank you for those mothers who nourish. Thank you for those mothers who teach. Thank you for those mothers who inspire. Thank you for Lady Diana and her role as a mother to this wonderful prince who is now entering his second act and continuing her spirit. Thank you so much for Mother Doria, for her strength, for her courage, for her love, for her role in raising the beautiful princess who has now married the prince. Thank you so much for Megan and the fact that she has been able to be not just a wife, not just a a figure of inspiration to people around the world, but also, crucially, a mother to her own children. We do pray, as always, for all those around the world who are facing adversity, whether it be from a changing climate or from wealth inequity or from anything else, from gun violence, from from a lack of fairness that we all are fighting against. But we especially pray today in thanks for all the mothers. Our last worship song, it is a song that I dedicate to all the mothers all around the world and specifically to the Sussex Squad mothers, to our beautiful Queen Dolia, who is an incredible mother to our lovely princess Megan and she too who had become an amazing mother I dedicate this song to my mother who loved this piece of music that we are about to play and to our, our Italian family our extended family in Italy that who lost this incredible man, a proud man, a proud Italian man, who left his wife behind, that who is a mother and who have an incredible son. And we are all feel the loss at this time. So I dedicate this prayer song, not to confuse to the Lord prayer, by Andrea Bocelli and Heather Headley, produced by David Froster. So, Sussex Squad Nation, I hope you enjoy it. Have a good night. Buena sera. Take care of your mental health and please 
worship with us.
Talk